So 1 Peter chapter 4, I wanted to begin in verse 7, and I wanted to talk to you along this line. There's six things that Peter mentions here that we need to be aware of, and I, I'm just going to ask you to take notes. Um, I'm going to do something maybe a little bit different this morning in, in delivering this to you. I'm struggling this morning and in my voice and everything, so I'm just going to be very careful to give this to you today. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man has received the gift. Even so, minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, think it not strange. Don't be amazed or startled by what you're going to see this year. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Because if you're reproached for Jesus, you should be happy. You should be joyful. And I think in our culture in America, that we have spent a lot of our time trying to escape suffering for Jesus. And it's really amazing that I, I don't particularly see a whole lot of joy in Christians. And maybe that's why. Maybe we're, we're so concerned to escape suffering for Christ that we try to live a bland or a gray life. And that says it makes God sick. And it really doesn't make a difference in other people's lives. And we don't get joy from that. And so just to live with everything we have for Jesus Christ. And I wanted to bring out these six things, and I'm just going to list them to you. <clears throat> if you want to take notes, you can write these six things down, and then I'm going to come back and talk about them. But there are six things that Peter tells us about in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. The end of the world, the end of all things is at hand. And he tells you to be sober. And he tells you, secondly, to watch unto prayer. Thirdly, he tells you to have sincere love. The fourth thing that we are told here is that we are to be hospitable. I'm going to reference that as addicted to ministry. The next or the fifth thing would be that we are to exercise our gifts. And the sixth thing that I think is very important is that we're not to be a people who are afraid. We're not to be afraid. You know, the Bible says that people of fear will not enter heaven. And I, 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 God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of sound mind. I want us to be a very courageous people in this hour. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is soberness, because this is one of the first things that Peter brings out. The end of everything is here. Be sober. Well, if anybody can talk to us about soberness, Peter can. Because here's a man that the night of Jesus' betrayal is making confessions to Jesus about how strong he's going to be and how faithful he's going to be. And if everybody else were to forsake Jesus, Peter's not going to do it. He really meant it. I believe he believed it. But he had no idea what was about to happen that night, even when Jesus was telling him that Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat. 
And then he fell. And he was just undone that night. And he denied the Lord three times. And his life was just consumed with his guilt and his sorrow for what he had done. And beloved, God has warned us so many times. And we try to gauge the condition of things by what we see or what we feel or what we think or what we want. But God has given us so many warnings. And there is a devil to contend with. And he is not playing any kinds of games. He is coming with all seriousness to devour and to destroy. And so I ask you this, or I just speak this to you, beloved, that if we are at the end of it all, maybe this would be the last year. Maybe it won't be. But to live as though it would be. Be sober. And I want to ask you the question, are you sober? Because I think people would tend to say that they are. It's not uncommon for a drunk to say, I'm fine, I can drive. Because they don't realize they don't have the cognitions that they need to have to operate a car and they're going to damage other people. There are people that come to church and we think, hey, I'm sober. I'm very aware. I'm very alert of what's going on. I got my life where it needs to be and I'm watching over it and I'm going to church and things of that nature. But I just want to encourage you to be sober, to be sound, to be awake and to be alert and to know what is going on. So I ask you this in regards to soberness. How are you doing? How are you really doing? How is your prayer life and your worship? When, when was the last time God spoke to you? Not through a preacher. Not through some other means. When was the last time God actually spoke to you? When was the last time your heart burned for the Lord? When was the last time that you were just very uncomfortable to be away from his presence? That all you could do was to escape whatever it was you were doing just to be alone with God. How are you really doing? I'm not asking about your Bible studies, your Bible readings. I'm not asking about your prayer times. I'm not asking about any of that. How are you actually doing spiritually? How is your communion with the Holy Spirit? Does it even matter to you? Does it even matter? If you comforted yourself just to think that everything is going to be fine. I pulled off a few things that I wanted to just read to you this morning. It says this. If you see church as optional. Do not be surprised. When your children see God as unnecessary. So how sober are you? Where are your kids today? Where are your children? What are they doing? What's going on in their life? And I'm not asking if they're in church. But where are they actually in their heart and in their spirits and in their life? And I believe that many Christian parents have given a message to their children by the way they live that they would never say. But I believe there's a lot of Christian parents who have not lived a sober life for Jesus Christ. The wonderful thing is there's always hope and there's always redemption. There's always a means, even if your children are grown, even if your children have children or your children's children have children, it's never too late for God to supernaturally work. I look around and I think about parents in this room and I think about battles we fought together. I think about prayer requests that have come to us and 
ask us pray. Pray for my family. Pray for my children. Pray for what's going on in their life. I'm really worried. And we begin to pray and we begin to believe God and seek the Lord for months and years. And we're praying. We're a family, right? So we intercede for one another and with one another and battling for our kids so that hell doesn't get them. And we've watched the answers to those prayers. We've watched kids come to Jesus and really want to serve him. In regards to church and time for church, I thought this was an interesting thing that I read. It says the average church time in America is just about 90 minutes to two hours a week. It's a grand total of four days attending church for an entire year. If you go to church about two hours a week, then you've gone to church about four days out of the year. The average American spends two hours a day, two hours a day watching Netflix. That's 600 hours or approximately 25 days a year. And I guarantee you, even when people come to church, this isn't an age thing. People are looking at their phones. People are distracted. People are thinking about something else. And so I just ask you, how is your soberness? We have a problem in America today. There's a great problem and there's a great answer. In the ChristianPost.com, it gives this, the results of a, of, a, of a test that they had run. And it says researchers warn that the beliefs and behaviors of younger Americans, especially millennials, threaten to reshape the nation's religious parameters beyond recognition. In fact, this radical spiritual revolution has created a generation seeking a reimagined world without God, without the Bible, without churches. 43% of millennials stated that they either don't know, don't care, or don't believe that God even exists. 28% of boomers, 44% of millennials believe Satan is real and he is greatly influential. But we don't care about God. Satan has not taken any time off, nor, his, nor have his evangelists. They have been very bold for the last many decades in this world and in our country, propagating the heresies that they propagate. And now we see what is being sown and reaped in our culture. That people are wondering and concerned, how can we ever recover some of this? Young people are inundated. Parents have no clue what is going on with their children. What their children are exposed to or what they're even looking at. Younger Americans are significantly more likely than the two previous generations. They're more likely to embrace horoscopes as a God and karma as a life principle. They have accepted evolution over creation and they view owning property as fostering economic injustice. Amazing. And I wanted to put this picture up. Can you do it for me, Kim? I wanted to put this picture up in regards to soberness. And I hope they can get this up here. And I wanted to read something to you. And it's entitled One Shot. And I, I saw this from Sarah Sines. And so she had put this up. And I just think it's a beautiful picture. When... Carla and I were blessed with kids. I wanted that reality in mind. I wanted my children. And I just think that's beautiful. And the Bible says, you know, that we are to worship God in the beauty of holiness. And that's just beautiful to me. 
And not not only the child that's in the the center focus, but even those that are next to him, and they're kneeling down and they're praying. And and I was just thinking that. And and you know when I go to church and and I see my kids up here serving God and worshiping and leading us in worship and leading other aspects of our church, I'm just stunned at the grace of God. And it's certainly not because Carla and I did everything right. It's not because we were model parents. Somebody would say, how did you raise your kids? Wrong. Bad, you know. Bad. It's the grace of God that they are having a desire for God. But the one thing we did do is we were consistent. We were consistent. We, we, we really lived what we believed. And what we believed about Jesus, we actually lived. And my kids, you know, are adults now. They could be anywhere they want to be. But they choose to be here with us. It's a quite an honor, you know, and I just say that to you parents, maybe you young parents and asking, you know, where are your children? Where are your kids? One of the most disastrous things that has happened since the pandemic a couple of years ago is numbers of young couples with young children have not come back to church. Numbers have not come back to church. And I think that is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. This is what Um, Sarah had posted and I'm just going to read it one shot you have one shot to raise your children in church that's all you get one when it's gone it's gone forever you can't go back you don't get a redo I have already accomplished our life's greatest accomplishment we raised our kids in church what they do now With that is up to them, but we did our best. And I'll stand before God knowing that. Faith is often inherited, so is a lack of it. As a young man, I remember the preacher turning to the youth choir that I was in and telling them, if your parents bring you to church, you are halfway to heaven and you don't even know it. Now, you're not in heaven Personal decision has to come from the children, but you're halfway there and you don't even know it. I think about Felix when he said to Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Get our kids as close as we can to God. My God, I can still feel the conviction today from that preacher when he said that. I am so thankful I heard that while my children were little. I determined then and there to get my kids as close to heaven as I could. I knew I couldn't save them, but I could raise them in church. I could get them in his presence. I could get them to an altar. Nothing, not football, not baseball, not Boy Scouts, not a PlayStation, not a demanding coach, not a job, not any other distraction was going to keep them out of church. I stood face to face with the devil On more than one occasion, fighting some temptation to keep my children out of church. Often the devil was the one in the mirror. But thanks be to God, we did it. We raised our kids in church. And so now as we start 2022, I'd like to remind all parents, you get one shot. It's precious, scarce, and fleeting. Use it or lose it. You get one shot. Such words of wisdom. I had a child in our church write me a letter, and this child gave me this letter, and this is what it said. I have this in my prayer journal, 
I read this regularly because it helps me pray. And when I read something like this, I just think, not everyone's sober. Not everyone's okay. And the end of everything's here. And this is what this little child wrote to me. Please forgive me for the first two lines or the first one line. You are the best, Pastor Lee. That's uh, okay. I'm not. Uh-uh. That's <laughs> okay. I haven't been in church in a long time. I miss you so much. I miss children's church. I miss Sunday school. I miss learning about Jesus and God. So with about 12 O's bad. I miss you, Pastor Lee. Hope you're okay. And I read that and I think, man, these poor kids, they can't drive. They can't leave their homes. They have to have parental permission for anything that they do. And then I wonder how often parents and people and us are so consumed with the things of this world. There's not a soberness that I see in our culture. I'm not indicting you. I'm just asking you to examine your soberness. Is that okay? How sober are you? Really, how sober are you? Our children and our friends and the people we work with, they need to be addressed. They need to be talked to. They need to be confronted. They need to be approached. I was talking with somebody just today about some issues in in the church and maybe with some young people. I said, you know, if we don't do anything, then one day these kids will say, I was drowning and you knew it. You never said anything. Because you can see kids drowning. You can see it happening. And what's what's it going to do? What's going to turn a parent around? What's going to get a parent sober when that drunk wrecks that car and kills a family of four? And what's it going to be for the church when your three-year-old, your four-year-old, who's some delightful little angel turns 14 and 15 and comes and tells you, I'm pregnant? Or I've had an abortion? And my life has fallen apart now. And that's going to sober up some families. You know, that's going to do it. And so it's just important for us to realize this. Second Peter 3, he tells us in verse 10. He says this, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And it is going to happen. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. See and then that all these things will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And nevertheless, though this world's going to do that, according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And the only thing that can do that is the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. 
washing over you and cleansing you and purifying you. So I just ask you to consider your soberness right now. Your soberness. How aware are you really? What's going on really? What's your walk with Jesus Christ really? I'm not asking about your spiritual disciplines and your prayer time, your Bible readings and your devotionals. I'm not really interested in any of that. I would just come back to the question. When was the last time God spoke to you? When was the last time you heard him? He's so wonderful. And all he wants is your heart. He'll talk to you anywhere at any time. He just wants you, you know, and he certainly wants to speak to you. The next thing that Peter brings out to us is to watch unto prayer. And I would just say that about prayer. Matthew 24, and this is, I think, the last scripture I'm going to read. And we'll just stay in First Peter. But in Matthew 24, Jesus makes this comment about the end times. And this, Peter said, watch unto prayer. And Jesus said, watch therefore. I'm in Matthew 24, 42. And I'd love for you to read this with me. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. You just don't know. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man comes. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he comes shall find so doing. And I want to talk a little bit about that when I come to the hospitality ministry part as well. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. How many of you want something like that in the eternal kingdom of Jesus? You know? I mean, it's real. It's actually going to happen. There's also going to be positions of rulership. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he's not looking for him and in an hour that he's not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you don't want that. And for God's sake, I don't want that for you. So what do I strive to do? I strive to come up here and tell you just about every time I possibly can, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We're living in the end. This is the end of the world. Jesus Christ is coming. There's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a kingdom of God. You're going to stand with God. You're going to be given rewards in his presence at the judgment seat of Christ. Don't you want them? You know, and I, and I know that you do. And you certainly don't want to be foolish and say, oh, he's not coming this year. He's not doing that. And sometimes I've talked to young people. I don't know what, what group they're in. I was talking to Gustavo and he said, today the word for, I think, the youngest generation is the crystal generation. Because they look so pretty and shiny, but they're so fragile. You just thump it and it may fall apart. You know, you go and tell a young person today, well, look, I want to talk to you about your responsibility. Oh, my God, I need a therapist now. What do you mean a responsibility? What do I have to be responsible for? You know, and I mean, we just get so we're so emotionally weak and everything, you know, and and so 
when I was thinking about this in, in regards to prayer, it, w- it would be like, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't understand. And I, I'm not going to dwell on this point very long. I'll just say this. I don't honestly understand with what our world has gone through and what we have gone through. Why churches all over America are not having a revival of prayer meetings. Of, of people rushing into the presence of God to take hold of God, to be in partnership with God. And some of these young people that I would talk to and I would ask them, what, how do you feel about the world? How do you feel about what's coming? You know, you hear what older people say and they're talking about how bad things are and how the world's going to get worse and jobs are being lost, pandemics and everything else and inflation and what do you think about that? And some of the young people say, what's the point? What's the purpose? What's the reason to try? And I said, what? And I'm like, my God, the reason for trying, you serve the king. You serve a kingdom that has passed through every generation of men. You serve a kingdom where God has taken shepherds and made them kings. Where God has taken pr- prisoners and made them prime ministers. You serve a king where he took women who were harlots and prostitutes and made them in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You serve a king who took a nobody and made a nation out of him. You serve a king who took a virgin girl and gave through her the son of God. No purpose. Oh my God, this is the greatest purpose we could ever have. This, I believe, it's one of the key central focuses in all of history. To be alive right now to serve the kingdom of God right now. It's exciting. It's thrilling. But if your hope is the world, then I would agree with you. What's the point? But that's not our hope. That's not our world. That's not our life. We might have to work in it. God will give us that job and he'll give us the success of it. We might have to be teachers and doctors and engineers and God puts us there. But that's not who we are. We're ambassadors of God. We're, we're soldiers of this kingdom that cannot be defeated and will not be defeated. And it's full of purpose. Full of purpose. If we would know it, but to watch the prayer. And I, I just don't understand why there aren't revivals of prayer everywhere. I don't know. I think it kind of goes in line with the soberness. If we really knew where we were, if we really knew what was going on, we would really want to get a hold of this great God. And just spend time with him and talk to him. And the next thing is fervent love. Fervent love. And so I want to talk to you about that for just a moment. Because Peter says we are to have this above everything. This is this is like, don't miss this. Because what good is it if you're sober and you don't have love? And what good is your prayer life if you pray but you don't have love? And so love is 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 the key to this. And so I just ask you, how's your love? Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, you've left your first love. You haven't left your doctrines. You haven't left your zeal. You haven't left off trying to find out who's false prophet and who's a true prophet. You haven't stopped doing that. But you've left your first love. Repent. Good word. Repent. Praise God we get to. And he forgives us and he accepts us and you've left your first love. So how is your love? 
Do you love to tithe? Pull out your um, your tithing record from 2021 and just see how well you did. Because it's a measure of your worship. I don't know what you think about it, but I know what the Bible thinks about it. And it's a measure of your worship. It's expression of the condition of your heart. Do you love the poor? Do you weep over the homeless man you pass up? Do you look at the youth and all you want to do is help them? And help people and do something? How's your love? How does it move you? What's the compassion that's in your heart? Peter said, listen, in the last days, above everything you can do, have fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover a multitude of sin. How many of you have witnessed the atrocities that you see as Christians attack Christians on social media? Isn't that horrible? Where's the love of God in that? You know, and, and it should be that we run to one another and we help one another and we cover sin. That's, that's what Peter said. Love covers a multitude of sin. And whatever that means, I want to do it. And if that means that you have fallen in sin and I've become a, a, a understanding of that and I'm aware of that, that you've fallen into sin, I don't want to expose you. I don't want to leave you where you are. I want to get you to Jesus I want to see healing in your heart and your life and freedom in your life. Just like I would want that in my life. But I'm not going to expose you and I'm not going to let anybody else hit you without hitting me first. Because I'm going to cover you. And that's the type of love that we need to have for ourselves. Because if we really have that kind of love for one another, then we really do have love for God. Because that's what Jesus was willing to do. And this was manifested the love of God. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And that's what we begin to do. We give ourselves as a sacrifice for one another and I want to have real love. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, beware, there will be doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. And men will um, be lovers of self and lovers of pleasure more than they are lovers of God. And they'll be covenant breakers and truce breakers. And they'll be fierce. They'll debate and they'll fight and they'll argue in the last days. They'll be selfish and self-centered. And he sums it up in this. They'll have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And I just say to you, this year, let us have a real baptism in love. Let us not go about with a, with, with an image of what, what do you think about my image of godliness? Come on, you know whether you are or not. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And you know if your heart's on fire for God or not. And you know if you need a baptism in his love or not. You know if you're spiritually cold. You know if you've got just a little bit of an ember that's still there. A little bit of heat, but it's about to go out. If some miracle doesn't happen for you and you're in need of a revival and God will give it to you tonight. Today, know to God that we would have this love for one another. The Bible says, be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love. and honor, prefer one another. Prefer them. Don't be slothful in business. Be fervent in your spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. And I just believe that's what we need to be. We need to be sincere in our love, and that is a miracle of God. But you have to look at your heart. 
you have to look at your life. I'm oftentimes convicted with my own. The next point that Peter gives us is this. Be addicted to ministry. It's hospitality. And having a ministry of hospitality is not really something you do. It's something that you are. A lot of people can do some good things. But this ministry of hospitality is just where we get the word hospital. You care for the needs of other people. And I would just encourage you to make sure that you addict yourself to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about working for the sake of working. I'm talking about being in a place in faith with God where you know that your life is affecting eternity. And I want to addict myself to that. I want to give myself to hospitality. I want to give myself to seeing people healed. I want to give myself to seeing people's faith strengthened and seeing joy in people's lives. I want to give myself to that. I want to give everything that I can possibly give to help another person stand. I don't care who gets the glory or who gets the credit. I just want to see another person make it another year in Jesus Christ. And I want to help them. I want to help their hurts. I want people to be able to express their wounds to me. And I'm not going to laugh at them. And I'm not going to mock them. And I'm not going to insinuate that this is foolishness for you to be hurting over something that seems so small. Because whatever it is that has gotten into your life that has hurt you, it's big to you. And so we're people that bring healing to other people's lives. You know, the Bible says that if a shepherd had a hundred sheep and one got away, then he's going to carefully take care of the 99 so that they're safe, but he's going to go after the one and find it. And Jesus is that good shepherd. But when he brings us back and brings people back and brings prodigals back, oh God, let them find love. Let them find the feast. Let them find the party of celebration because this, my brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found and I, I would pray to God I'd be even more excited than him or her if they're coming back to God. And so I would just encourage you to exercise yourself in ministry. There's a couple of things about this that stand out to me. Number one, the church is the only thing that's really dealing with the problems of today. Or at least it should be. The cultural problems of our day, racism of our day, the confusion that's in our young people. The only true and accurate answer is coming from the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no hope anywhere else. And so addict yourself to that. And not only is the church addressing these kinds of issues, the church is expressing it through compassion. And in every generation a day, it was the church that developed hospitals and schools and programs and orphanages to take care of the people that nobody else wanted to take care of. It was the church that led the way with that. And I say until Jesus comes back, let us continue to lead the way. Be a force that is to be reckoned with. The next thing is to exercise your gifts. Exercise your gifts. This is in First Peter 4. He says in verse 10 and 11... How you're supposed to do that. And I've, I've had people ask me, you know, I think God wants me to say something. I think God wants me to do something. I'm not really sure if I should do it. I want to hear from God. I want to know that this is the Lord. Well, right here in First Peter, you can ask yourself a few questions. And one of the things that you can ask yourself is, is what I'm about to do going to glorify God? And is what I'm about to do going to comfort the church? And bring edification and exhortation into their life. 
Or is what I'm about to do, could it be damaging and could it be harmful and could it wound somebody's faith? And if you have a question about that, that it could possibly wound somebody's faith, it could possibly do damage to the body of Christ, then you don't do it. And you seek the counsel of the Lord and you seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit so that you know whatever comes out of your mouth are words of grace. The possibilities of God are being given to a person. The hope of God, the restoration of God, God's reconciliation to people is being given through your gifts in your life. And when your gifts are being exercised like that, like if somebody's here and they're, and they're not feeling well and they're sick and you're, you're at the prayer meeting tonight and you you have a burden for them, but you're not sure if God wants you to go pray for them. Well, he already told you to. He says, lay your hands on the sick. He already told you to do that. And if you go pray for the sick, then ask yourself the question, is this going to glorify God? You better believe it. Is this going to edify them? Of course it is. And so this is something that we begin to do and we pray for one another and we help one another and we lift one another and build each other up. And so I encourage you to exercise your gifts and be careful because Satan is doing everything that he can possibly do to rob you of your faith. And there's too much faith that is filled with emotion today. We live too much by sight and not by faith. We're too carnal to live by faith. Because we have to have carnal assurances and we have to have carnal feelings that support what we're believing God for. And if I can get enough support emotionally to believe God is going to do this, then God is going to do it. Because I just believe he is. And faith comes by hearing though and hearing by the word of God. And God speaks to you and faith overrides emotion and faith overrides feeling and faith stands upon the facts of God. The facts of God, not the facts of man, because one of the greatest contenders of faith is the facts of man. That's, that's one of the greatest hindrances to faith is man's facts. How can you feed 5,000 people with just a couple of fish and bread? How can you do that, Lord? How can this man do anything good here? Look, his mother's here and his brothers and sisters are here. And he was a carpenter in this city. It's the facts of man that are always attacking faith. So don't let it come to you like that. Live in faith. Live, believe in God. What does the word of God say? Believe it and do it and act upon it. Don't have a dead faith. Have a living faith. Don't live by experiences. Because some days you're going to have great experiences. And other days you're going to have boring experiences. And a boring experience is no evidence that God was absent. The proverb says that even when a man is full, honey does not taste good to him. And in the Psalms, it says sometimes that Jesus leads you in a path that makes you hungry and makes you thirsty. So that the water and the bread he's about to give you taste wonderful. He's your shepherd. He does lead you into green pastures and still waters, but that's not everywhere he leads you. He leads you through wildernesses and deserts and through the heat and through the storms. He leads you into places where there's no shelter and the only hope you have is his rod and his staff. But he will lead you to green pastures and still waters as well. Just stay with the shepherd. And don't let an event define you. And don't let an experience define what worship is or what worship isn't. You don't go into something like this and have a great experience with God. And go somewhere else in another church and you don't have that experience. And you conclude that God's not moving in that church. Who are we to conclude that? We look for God. We look for Jesus. We keep our eyes upon him. And whatever it is, the experience that God wants to give me, that is the experience that I want to have. 
If it's being still and if it's being quiet or if it's shouting and dancing, whatever it is, Jesus, I just want my eyes to be fixed upon you. And I want my gifts to move through my life that are not conditioned on how I feel or how holy I think I am. I am your servant and you have chosen me and you have filled me with your spirit and there are gifts in me. And I'm going to exercise these. I mean, just think of what kind of church do you want to have this year? What kind of youth group do you want to have this year? What kind of young adults group do you want to have this year? What kind of men's fellowship do you want to have this year? Or ladies fellowship that you want to have this year? We want to be a bunch of religious people that get together and do a religious thing and hopefully have a good feeling at the end of it. Or do we want to believe God for signs and wonders and miracles today? Do we want to believe God to pour out his Holy Spirit and understand that it's not just the people on the stage that have gifts, but we all have gifts and I'm going to start exercising mine to the glory of God. And God's going to do something through my life. I don't need to see it to know it. I just know that he is. What do you want? Where are the future missionaries? Where are the future preachers? Where are the future Sunday school teachers? Where are the future elders? Where are they? You remember that story that I preached not long ago when Abraham Lot was taken captive and Abraham takes a little over 300 of his trained men because the kingdom took his nephew into bondage as a captive. And Abraham hears about it and he gets his 300 trained men and he goes after this kingdom and he beats the kingdom with 300 men. And they were trained. They were trained before they were ever needed. They were trained before Lot was ever a prisoner. They were trained before that kingdom ever came against Lot. So that when it did happen, Abraham was ready. And oh, church, let us be ready. We don't know what this year is going to bring. I've never given, been given to the New Year's phrases, you know, and, and, and these things that come. And I'm glad that I didn't. I'm glad I wasn't in that on 2019 and 2020. And I have no idea what 2022 is going to bring other than this. It's going to bring the fight of hell and the glory of God. And we're going to win. And we're going to win the whole way through. And we're not going to lose a battle. And we're going to see his glory. And so I conclude with the last point, And that is this. Be fearless. Don't be afraid. What good is a scared church in a world that is terrified? In a world that is full of sorrow and the church is full of sorrow, what do we have to offer them? When the world is panicked about their life and the church is panicked about its life, what? how are we any different? And so I say this, suffer for Jesus Christ. Suffer for him. Don't suffer for politics. Don't suffer for Trump. Don't suffer for Republicans. Don't suffer for Democrats. Suffer for Jesus Christ. Be a Christian. But be fearless. Get in front of the government. And if it's wrong, say it's wrong. And if a politician's there and it's wrong, say it's wrong. And declare what is right. And uphold the truth of God. Uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there are not many ways to God. There's one way, Jesus Christ. There's not many truths. There's one. And that truth is Jesus Christ. And there's not many ways to Jesus. There's just one way to Jesus Christ. And there is no other hope and there's no other message. And preach it. Preach it on the rooftop. Preach it everywhere you go. Because it might be your last year to do it. Live as though it will be. And then you'll suffer for Christ. 
And I know a little bit about that. And you'll be happy. And I know a little bit about that. And you'll have joy. But go ahead and protect your life from any type of suffering. And you won't have a lot of joy in your life. And you will have a lot of problems. Some people might wonder, it seems so insignificant for a handful of people to gather together in a church for an hour and pray or sing or worship. I don't think so. I think we are joined to heaven's throne. And I think all of the desires and the purposes of heaven are longing to be expressed through a group of people, whether it's big or small, that are coming before God in worship and prayer and praise, to take a hold of God and to join themselves with God and to walk with God in this world. And I believe that there is nothing impossible. And I believe miracles would take place. So here are the things that I wrote down at the end of December that we prayed for. These are our praises. Joseph's salvation. The shoebox ministry. It was a double portion. We did 411 boxes. We had double surplus in the offering that helped us do the night of hope and the hill. Amazing. I would say the Christmas outreach where the Holy Spirit led us to take the goods and the services that we had and bring them to South Louisiana in a time where they really needed it. I appreciate those individuals that are reaching out into South Louisiana on a continual basis. Gustavo, our dear pastor in Lima, Peru, his daughter had a breast tumor and we are happy to say that it is gone. Praise the Lord. She is healed. Our Fireplace Children's Church reported and showed for us on the screens the healing of a little boy who had a brain tumor. No surgery. No surgery, no treatment. God just took it away. Numbers of people got religious exemptions. Our outreach is the Night of Hope, the Hill, the Christmas we had two cities invite our church to host public meetings to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. The ladies' prison is opened back up. That was an answer to prayer for Marcel. She's been given six new volunteers to help her. That was an answer to prayer. Jeff Lee was dealing with shingles in his eye. I don't know if everybody would understand or knows about this, but there was damage done to his eye and there was a time he couldn't see well through it and the doctors were very concerned because shingles can actually damage your eyesight and it won't recover and God we prayed over him and anointed him with oil and his eyesight was perfectly restored <clears throat> our friend in Colorado Andrew Blum's son Elijah who is a special needs child was very very sick and God miraculously healed him the night we were praying BJ's mother, BJ Pons, our dear friend, her mother was diagnosed with bladder and urethral cancer. 
They saw it in her bladder and they saw it in the urethral. They went back to see if it had spread to the kidneys to discover that the cancer had actually disappeared in her bladder and urethral. <laughs> Noah was going to his family's up north for Christmas. He was very sick. And he called for the elders of the church. Felix and Richard Longmire went and anointed him with all. The next day he's changing all in his truck. Healed. Praise God. <laughs> Bailey and Trent's baby. And it's just. It's just beautiful to think. A handful of people in a prayer meeting. Insignificant. Well. Not when you need it. And beloved, the end of everything is at hand. And let us be that people of love and soberness and prayer and ministry and giftings and courage. Let's be the people. What kind of church do you want to have? You want it to have life, power, fullness, joy? Well, that's up to you. That is up to you. Because actually, you possess the power of what spirit will rule in this house. Not this pulpit. This pulpit will fight a bad one. But it won't necessarily win. But together in unity, when we say that we want one thing, we want Jesus, and we want to be with Jesus, and we want to walk with Jesus. And we want the life of Jesus. Then nothing can stop us. Everything God asked us to do in 2021, we did it. Let's do it this year. Let's do it this year. And let's be fearless. And let's march forward. And do everything that God has set for us to do. I want you to stand with me. Thank you for praying for me. Through this, through this time of preaching. Let's just seek the Lord right now. And I'm just going to ask you. Anybody here. Just would be. Willing to come before God. And, and bow in an altar. You're not too big. You don't have to be too proud. Just ask God for soberness. Ask for a revival of prayer. Ask for a baptism in love. Ask for a desire to minister. To exercise your gifts and to live fearless. Come Holy Ghost and give us boldness. Let this be the most exciting passage this year that we ever walked. Let us see your glory. Oh God, let Jesus be lifted up from us. Let him be seen in the world. Let him be declared. And Holy Ghost, prove to the world he is. Prove that to the world. Do wonders for Jesus. Do miracles for Jesus. Some of you have to understand how Jesus is leading you. A dry place is not a bad place, but it can be a bad place if you stay too long. The Lord never intended Israel to live in the wilderness very long. 
He wanted them in the promise quickly. God wants you in the promise quickly. But if you're in a dry place, it doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. If you're in transition with ministry, it doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. You're just in transition. God's got to speak. And you've got to soberly hear Him and be in prayer with Him. And I just believe that there are some people right now that are in that transition. And I just want to extend love to you. I want to extend to your life prayer and intercession. And I I just want to believe with you that God will give you the joy of hearing his voice and knowing what he wants and anointing you to do it. And I believe he can do that for you today. So just come here and pray. As we worship God, let's pray. Be filled with the Holy Ghost today. Come on. He's really the answer to every one of these points. Just get filled with the Holy Ghost and you'll be sober. And you'll pray and you'll love and you'll minister and you'll give your gifts and you won't be afraid. The Holy Ghost. What a gift. What a precious friend he is. I was just going to step down now, but I just, I don't feel the Holy Spirit's going to let me. He wants me to prompt that. So I say it again. And I want to pray with you. There's, I believe there's some people that are in a transition in their life. And it's in a transition of ministry. You're in a place. It seems barren to you. You have longings and desires for more, more fruit. But it just seems you've come against a wall. And we want to pray with you. And I've certainly been there. But I'm just going to ask you, if you will, to lift your hand. If that is you, please let us pray with you. Just lift your hand up high. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Y'all pray for our sister back there, please. Lauren, pray for her right behind you. Y'all pray. Anybody, these guys in the, in, the, in the balcony, y'all please pray with them. Pray with them. In the back, pray with this gentleman. Praise God. Let's pray for one another. Come on, let's pray. Let's believe God. Father, we just thank you right now in the name of Jesus that a transition is just that. And you're the good shepherd and you lead us, God. You're going to lead us into those paths you want us to walk, God. And you're going to give us joy and you're going to give us peace and gladness as we walk with you, God. Lord, you're going to bring ministry forth through our life. Oh, God, we've had dreams about it. But these aren't our dreams. They're yours. Like Joseph dreamed. Those weren't his dreams. They were yours. And you did them. And God, you're going to do it in these people's lives. You're going to do it, God. And oh, Father, we're in agreement with you to do it in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, praise you, exalt you, oh God. Father, we pray that whatever barrier would be in the way, God, if there's a wall, if there's an enemy that stands in the way, we thank you, God, in the name of Jesus, that that would be removed. That that would be removed, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, let enemies become friends. In the name of Jesus, God.